Hey guys, Pastor Mike Reed here. Thankful that God led you to tune into this video sermon. Uh, our prayer is very simple. We pray that God would use the preaching of God's Word uh, to grow you more in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray it blesses you, nourishes you, and encourages you. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Uh, if you do not know who I am, my name is Mike McKinney. I am one of the pastors here at Church at Bergen. If you are new with us or you're not a Christian, we always want to extend a special welcome and thanks to you for being here. Uh, there's no other place rather you be than here with us worshiping Jesus. Uh, that's the ultimate reason why, we, why Christians uh, gather together every single week in a large congregation like this. It is to lift high the name of Jesus uh, because he's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who conquered death. Uh, he's the one who gives us new life. He gives us eternal life. He gives us for forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And so that's why we gather here to have our hearts uh, treasure Jesus more than anything else in the world. Uh, we need to be reminded of that weekly because uh, the world is constantly laying before us things trying to allure us away from uh, the one true God, which is Jesus Christ. So everything we do here on Sundays, um, just as by way of reminder, it just serves that ultimate goal. So that's, that's what you're aiming at, right? So this, these aren't just individual activities that we're doing. It's not like we take the Lord's Supper, that's one thing, and preach the Bible, that's another thing, and then we sing, they're all kind of this kind of disconnected. It's all serving together. It's one big team effort, you might say, to have our hearts directed towards Jesus, who is uh, our great Savior. Uh, it's very appropriate. We're talking about undivided attention today, and I'll, I'll get to that in just a little bit, but uh, there's going to be some noises off to the wall here. They're painting on the other side of the building here. Uh, we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit helps us to focus with undivided attention. Uh, before I do that, just a couple reminders. Uh, hopefully you guys have been, those of you who have been coming to our Philippians seminar on Wednesday nights have been encouraged by that, uh, seeing some, some different teachers and, and walking verse by verse through Philippians. Uh, but this week we're taking a break from that because we have our monthly worship and prayer. Last Wednesday, every month, right in this auditorium, 7.30 to 8.30, we come together as a people of God to, to plead with the Lord to continue to work in and through us uh, as his people because uh, anything of spiritual value, anything of lasting value can only happen if God uh, and his spirit work in and through us. So please, I hope to see you guys there to worship and to, uh, to pray to our risen king. Well, let me pray because it has been uh, quite the week for uh, my wife and I, and so I just really need just the Lord's help uh, today to, to, to make my heart explode with love for Jesus and to help you uh, to see something that leads you into more love for Jesus today. So let's, let's pray. Father God, we, we love you, and we thank you that um, you gave us Jesus binds our wandering heart to thee. We are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. So here's our heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for your courts above. Would you take our hearts and, and seal them where Christ, who is our life, is seated at your right hand. We thank you for your scriptures that you've given to us, them to us by the Spirit of God. Help me, uh, to be a faithful and helpful uh, and loving and gracious preacher of your word. Spirit of God, we need our hearts to be directed towards you. Uh, protect us from any distractions today. Help us to be fixed. 
Help our, our hearts to be united together with one aim, and that is to see the love of Jesus more, more clearly and to walk in wisdom uh, that you so uh, gladly will give to those who ask through Christ, we pray. Amen. So, I am totally convinced that one of the most valuable things at your disposal is your undivided attention. That one of the most sought-after things uh, by the big companies today is your focused attention. They want your eyes. They want you to pay attention to what they have to say. So from Netflix to iPhones and Apple and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all these, these little software, big tech companies, what they want more than anything is your attention. They want you to look at their product. If you think about this, this is so desirable because if I can promise somebody that I can, if I can promise someone and ensure that 10,000 people will gather into one place and listen to what I have to say for 30 minutes, someone will pay me big fat bucks to say something they want me to say because I have your attention. And this is why it's, it's very important that you realize that the people who, 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 or, who design these things, like your cell phones, which don't, I'm not anti-technology. I love, I've, got, I've got a cell phone, I've got a, I got a computer, iPad, all that stuff. I'm a, I'm a techie if you know me. But you must know that, that they design these things, these products, so that your attention is glued to that thing. If you don't believe me, listen to back in 2017, uh, Sean Parker, who was a former uh, leader in Facebook, I believe he was a former president of Facebook, said this, quote, the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? This is their aim. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hip every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post, or whatever. That's the goal. They designed this in with, with, the, with the goal to have your focused attention upon that and not what else is going around you. So this is why so many of you have such a hard time um, paying attention to your kids while you're giving them a bath. Because we're... Right? And they got your attention. This is why so many of you have a hard time doing something so essential to the Christian life. It is essential. It is necessary for you to walk in intimacy with Jesus to pray and read your Bible. One of the most difficult things that we have today is simply praying and reading our Bibles because we, something else has won and captivated our attention. Th just and think about it. Just sit and try to pray for 10 minutes without you you're going... Right? You want, to, you want to peek at it. You want to look at it. It's very important that we realize this. That, that your undivided attention is, is one of the most valuable things that you can give somebody. One of, the, one of the easiest ways to demonstrate to someone that they matter and that they're important and they're valuable is you to give their focused attention. You want to let someone know that they don't matter to you when they're talking to you? Just... Just start looking away. You're demonstrating, because you, you're saying to them, whether you realize it or not, your attention is not worth their time. 
It's very valuable. Our, our attention is extremely valuable. And if people can get your attention, what then happens is that when they fix your attention upon what they're saying or whatever it is, thing or person or place, there is then some sort of wisdom, guidance, counsel, advice trying to be downloaded into your intellectual hard drive. So every, every single message and movie and song and article, it's all coming from a particular angle. There's no such thing as a neutral device. Everybody's coming from a particular angle. Everyone's trying to get you to go this way or that way based upon their counsel, based upon their guidance, based upon their advice. So do I have your attention? <laughs> life is a journey. It's a journey. We're all going somewhere. We're either going towards life or we're going towards death, towards destruction or towards salvation. It's a journey. We're all traveling. There's no such thing as a, as a stagnant life. We're all either moving towards the wisdom of God or towards the wisdom of the world. And so this, because of this, for the next six weeks, we're launching a six-week series in the book of Proverbs called Walking in Wisdom. Because if life is a journey, we all have to take steps one way or the other, and we can't do it. We need help. We need someone to give us guidance as to where we go. So the wisdom of God leads us into one direction. The wisdom of the world leads us into another direction. That's why we say it's walking in wisdom. And if you know anything about the book of Proverbs, the very first verse, it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So it was written by King Solomon, who was the son of King David, the famous guy who, who defeated Goliath with the sling. And after David secured the city of Jerusalem as a place where God's uh, presence would dwell, he dies, his son Solomon takes over, and God comes to him and says, I will give you anything you want, what do you want? And he chooses what? Wisdom. Not riches. He chooses wisdom. And because he chooses wisdom and not riches, God gives him both. Because you can't trust a fool with money. You can only trust wise people with money. So he gives him both. And then Solomon essentially ushers Israel into the, the pinnacle of its glory and fame and riches. And Solomon becomes the, 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 the wealthiest, the, the most famous, the wisest king in all the land. In fact, other kings just come just to see him and hear him. You know the story of Queen of Sheba. She comes to hear what he has to say. It says in 1 Kings 10, 23-24, the, thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. So Proverbs was written by the wisest man at the time on the known world in a kingdom at its most glorious, famous riches, wealth, and prosperity. This is the context and the place that this book was birthed out of. A proverb is simply a poetic expression of wisdom. A proverb is a poetic expression of wisdom. And the thing about poetry, poetry, anybody, any poetry people out there? Okay, maybe I'm the only one. I actually like poetry. You can ask my wife, I like it. it the thing about poetry is you, you can't skim it. There's no such thing as skimming poetry. 
It's written carefully. Every word matters. And so you have to read it and think about it and reflect upon it and stretch it and hit it until it cracks and yields a kernel of God's wisdom that you eat into your soul, digest it into your worldview, and it affects the way that you think, feel, and act in the world. And this, pro- this book is touching on all different topics. It talks about sex and money and raising children and discipline and laziness, uh, all different types of topics. So, so one, every single week through this series, you'll hear a, some sort of pastor talk about what the book of Proverbs has to say about a particular practical issue in daily life. Now, I get the privilege of, uh, Pastor Mike gave me a very daunting task of launching the series for the first time today, and uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to be hitting on a particular practical issue. I'm more kind of setting the tone for the next six weeks. And the big question I'm going to be asking today, you're going to hear me ask it a lot, is what are you, who or what are you giving your undivided attention to? Who or what are you giving your focused attention? fixed attention to you. Who or what are you has won your attention? Is it the wisdom of the world or is it the wisdom of God? So let's dive in, shall we? We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to be, um, I, I, I chose to do this and it's going to be uh, quite a wild ride, but I'm preaching through the entire chapter, first chapter of, of Proverbs We're going to pick it up, Proverbs chapter 1. If you don't know where Proverbs is, it's basically right smack dab in the middle, uh, right after the book of Psalms, first chapter. Pick it up in verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. I want you to focus on verses two through four. I want you to notice the first word in each of those verses, to know wisdom, to receive instruction, to give prudence. It's another way of saying, in order to know wisdom, or if you want to know wisdom, verse 3, if you want to receive instruction, verse 4, if you want to give prudence. And we all, we all want this. And notice the progression of words, know in verse 2, receive in verse 3, and give in verse 4. This is kind of a, an increasing progression. So the first step is, is knowing, understanding Wisdom and instruction. The next step is you receive the instruction. You internalize it. You digest it. You process it and take it into your worldview. And then in verse 4, ultimately, we're not, we're not the Dead Sea. Water isn't just kind of coming into us and stopping. We want it to return and give it to somebody else. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Verse 4 is what we all want. Every single one of you should want, verse 4, you should want to be in a place where you can actually give wisdom and instruction and counsel that is worth something. 
And not just to anyone, especially to those people who are coming after you, not just your children, but everyone who is young as you. Give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. We all want to be this. To put it in a very strange way, we all want to be gurus. Not in a very conceited sense, not in a, not a vain, selfish, ambitious sense, hopefully. But in the sense that you want your life to matter. You want what you say to actually have substance. When you talk, you want people to listen to what you have to say. Because you want your life to count. You want your life to matter. You want your words to have weight and to actually help people. Proverbs 20, verse 29 is a great verse. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair, or for some of you, the lack thereof. So there, there's, there's, I'm still young. I still consider myself young. Um, there's great things about being young. You can run, you can jump, you can be strong, you, can, you have all this life in you. The thing is this, though, a young man or woman can bench a lot of heavy weight, but their counsel while sitting on a bench is very light in comparison. Uh, has anybody seen those apps, those face apps yet, where you can take a picture, you can take a selfie, and it shows you that how, how, what you can look like when you're like 60, 70 years old? It's pretty creepy. Um, so my wife uh, did it for me a couple weeks ago, and uh, it was, she, I've never seen her laugh so hard in my life. And I showed it to Pastor Don, Don Hoitzma, and he actually said, wow, it looks like your dad. Um, and it was, at first it was a little shocking, and I was going to show up on the screen, but I knew if I did that, you guys wouldn't be able to focus for the rest of the sermon, because you'd be thinking about how weird I looked, so I'm just not going to do that, and I'll probably never show you, so. Um, but anyways, I, at first it was a little startling. Oh my gosh, that, that's wow, that's really ugly. <laughs> but then I began to, I, I, I honestly, I, I had this feeling. I, I had a surprising, I was pleasantly surprised by how excited I got about, I wonder, I wonder what I'm going to be like when I'm 65 years old, 70 years old. I'm not going to care what I look like. All I'm going to care about is seeing Jesus and helping those who are coming after me. You see, there's, there's lots of I, I'm beginning to lose my infatuation with youth. And I'm, I'm beginning to see the allurements and the glory and the beauty of being older and wiser and being a person of substance. You know, there's, there's, there's something about, uh, you know, we got, it's, it's, there's five elders on our, on our elder board and, and we joke all the time that there's, you know, these three young cowboys, Peter, Mike, and myself. The only reason that gives us, we have any clout is because of Don and John because they're older. Uh, but these, these men, they're just, they have so much wisdom and so much insight. Uh, and what they have to say it has, has so much weight in, in our lives. And so it's very, very encouraging to see that. But this is what you should be aiming for. Now go back to verse four. You should be aiming for verse four. You want to be, be at the place where you can give wisdom and counsel. You want to be able to provide godly wisdom of substance to other people around you. But what, what do you have to do what do you have to be like to get to this place? It doesn't come instantly. It takes time. Verse 5. So if you want to know wisdom, if you want to receive instruction, instruction and ultimately, verse 4, to give, 
Verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and is saying the words of the wise and their riddles. First few words are most important in verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. You have to be teachable. If you want to grow in wisdom, if you want to be at a place where what you say actually has weight, you have to, right now, starting today and for the rest of your life, you have to be a teachable person. One of the most important qualities of growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ and growing in intimacy with God and growing in godliness, walking in the wisdom of God, is you must be a teachable person. You must admit that you don't know some things and admit that there are things you don't know that you don't know. And that's the hardest one. And to test whether or not you're teachable, how do you react when someone comes into your life and offers a, a sense of helpful criticism? They're just trying to help you. How do you react to it? Do you bristle against it? Do you get defensive? A teachable person isn't someone who just receive, accepts everything, but they, are, they know that they still have a lot to learn. And some of the reasons why you're not growing in wisdom, why you're remaining in your foolishness, is because you're too busy talking as opposed to listening. Proverbs 18:2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. If you're constantly talking, constantly expressing your opinion, what you think and what you desire, you're never actually in a place where you're learning anything. I love would you rathers. Would you rather be an expert talker or an expert listener? Would you rather be an expert talker, a professional talker? You're just very good at talking. Words just flow. Or would you rather be a professional expert listener? It says a lot about you, how you'd answer that question. So here's a practical tip. Find people interesting. Every single person you meet is a bundle of experiences to learn from. Pastor Peter Cho, one of our elders, says that every person you meet is, a, is another world. Find people interesting. Every person you meet, find something, draw them out. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. If you want to grow in wisdom, if you want to be a person of substance, if you want to be governed by the wisdom of God, there are other people that know more than you and you have to learn from, and a wise person will take the time to find interest in other people, especially those who have the fear of the Lord at the center of their lives, which leads us to verse 7. After, you're, after you become teachable, What's the first lesson? What's the starting place? Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This verse right here in Proverbs 1, it, 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 it's basically where the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God part ways and never to return. They never join hands again. It's all about starting points. Where do you begin? Where do you start? What is the starting place? What is the one fact what is the one absolute fact that all other facts in your life are built upon? What is the one, what's at the rock bottom thing that you know that everything else is dependent upon? 
the wisdom of the world would say that the most central, most important, most absolute fact is yourself. You are the center. You are the big assumption. If there's one thing you can know, it's that you exist. And then everything else is built upon that. Everything else is determined by the, everything else, everything else is filtered through that big assumption. So your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your plans, your visions, your goals are the supreme pinnacle of your existence, the supreme aim of your life. So all problems in your life are determined by whether they help or whether they hinder the self. So if you want to find who you are, you've you got to find the, the inner you. Listen to your voice on the inside and, and go inside to find who you really are. But rather than coddle the ego, what the wisdom of God does is it crucifies the ego. It puts it on the outside and it puts God, it puts Christ at the center. For the Christian, for the man and woman who walk in the wisdom of God, the one thing they know, the one fact that everything else settles upon, it's that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So God's visions, God's hopes, God's dreams, God's purposes, Christ's plan, Christ's will is the big assumption of your life. The Bible assumes God. If you ever notice, the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God. It just starts with him. There's no, well, you know, every cause and effect, every you know, effect has a cause. And so there's this argument for the existence of God. There's no arguing for the existence of God. He just is. Who says to Moses, I am who I am. There's no arguing about it. It's a, it's a central fact of reality. And if you want to walk in wisdom, you start there. And what controls you is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That just means you care primarily, essentially, mostly about what God thinks about you and not what other people think about you. What controls your steps is this please God? Does this please God? Does this please God? If the fear of the Lord is not the beginning, your starting point of your life, you must necessarily, by default, be controlled by the fear of man. What other people think about you. Because the center of your reality is the self. That's what matters most. And so you're constantly protecting the self. You're constantly protecting the ego, making sure that everyone sees you right, making sure that you, you post the perfect picture on Instagram, say the, the cleverest thing on Twitter, or have the, the, the perfect cute little post on, on Facebook. Everything is trying to control and protect the self. And this is where you have to begin. Now, for the remainder of the sermon, we're going to hit up verse 8 through 33, and you're going to see two characters. I remember the initial question that I asked you. Who or what are you giving your undivided attention to? There are two characters in the rest of this, this chapter that are screaming out, crying out to you, calling your attention to the wisdom of God and away from the wisdom of the world. And I do believe that they, both, they basically say the same message, and we're going to see what that message is in just a moment. But the first, the first characters are a father and a mother talking to their son. Verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. 
and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, that's just a place in the Old Testament understanding for the dead. Sheol, this place where the dead people go. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They sit in ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Okay, so a lot was said there. But I want you to take note of verse 11 and verse 18, if you have your Bibles open. Verse 11 and verse 18, and I want you guys to see the, the, the irony in these two verses co uh, coinciding together. Verse 11 is, is a father, he's talking to his son. He's giving him counsel. He's a man who fears God. This is a dad who fears God. He doesn't care what the world thinks. He cares what God thinks. So he's pouring out his heart and soul to his son. And he's describing to him what things people are going to say in his day and age that are going to sound like the wisdom of the world. And he says in verse 11, If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. And then look at verse 18. Look at the irony in verse 18. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. So the message that these two people are, are saying is that the wisdom of the world will eventually betray you. The wisdom of the world will ultimately, at the end of the day, it will stab you in the back. It may, it may offer some, some immediate initial fleeting pleasures, but at the end of the day, it's going to stab you. It's going to turn around and eat you alive. The wisdom of the world presents the bait and it hides the hook. And verse 19, I think, really summarizes it very succinctly. Verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It, what is it? It's the ways of those who have submitted themselves to the wisdom of the world. They put themselves at the center of reality. They've pushed Christ, they've pushed God outside to the periphery, and they begin with themselves, and they themselves determined what is good, right, and true. That takes away the life of its possessors. It, verse 19, last phrase, it takes away the life of its possessors. So if you possess the wisdom of the world, it will eventually come around and it will take your life. That's what it says. If you possess it, it will ultimately possess you.
The second character is Lady Wisdom. There's different people are kind of in disagreement about who, who is this, who's this Lady Wisdom, right? It's this, it's this, it's this woman who is, who's personifying the wisdom of God. So it's the wisdom of God put into this beautiful form of a woman. And, and many people would, would say that this, this is kind of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This was the Son of God before he became the man, Jesus Christ, because it talks about in Proverbs 8, you can check it out on your own time, how God, how God possessed wisdom at the beginning of creation. We know that, that Jesus Christ, he talks about how he was also creating the universe with the Father at the beginning. But I don't think we need to be too dogmatic about that. One thing we do know is this woman is embodying the wisdom of God and she's calling out to the world. And she has basically the same message as the father and mother say to the son. Verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So she's not in a quiet place. She's, she's uh, calling out to people in the midst of other voices. You see why I'm saying who or what are you giving your undivided attention to? Everything is demanding, crying out for your attention. And Lady Wisdom's coming through, embodying the wisdom of God and saying, listen to me. And she says, verse 22, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called, here's where she starts making the same point as the father and the mother. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. And then she repeats herself. She does kind of like a, 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 they refuse the wisdom and how it turns on them. How they refuse the wisdom and how it turns on them. Watch this, verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away from wisdom, that is, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. I think it's clear that if you submit to the wisdom of the world, that is, to repeat, the wisdom of God begins with God. He is the alpha and the omega of your mind, your heart, your plans. He's the beginning He's the end. He calls the shots, and you like it that way. And the wisdom of the world pushes God out of the center and puts you at the middle. 
if you do this, you may like it for a time, but you and I both know this will ultimately stab you in the back. It will ultimately betray you. It will ultimately eat you alive. It will ultimately, you think you're just carrying around this pet lion, and then all of a sudden the lion's going to turn on you and devour you. But I don't really think you guys would disagree with me. I think we all know this. I would bet that every single person in here can, right off the top of your, top of your head, right off the bat, can list a handful of thing, things that you've done that you know were unbelievably foolish. You can think of times when, you can think of times when Christ is saying, let me be the center. I will lead you to life. And you say, no thanks. And you chose your own way. Some of you right now, uh, maybe you're younger and you're about to walk into some of the dumbest decisions you've ever done in your entire life. You're on the verge of making an incredibly foolish decision because you're drunk with the wisdom of the world and it feels so good, it's so numbing, it's so enticing and it feels so right. If it feels so good, how could it be so wrong? And you're about to walk into some of the foolish decisions, most foolish decisions you've ever made in your entire life. And Lady Wisdom, embodying the wisdom of God, is saying it's going to destroy you. Some of you right now, maybe you, you have already, you've recently made some of the dumbest decisions you've ever made in your life. And frankly, you are eating the fruit of your own way. You are having your fill of your own devices. You are seeing, you are seeing the blood and the ambush have, has come upon you. And you are drinking from the moldy sewage of your foolish decisions. You see, we, this is not, I don't have to convince anyone. We've all done this. We've all done foolish things, and it has turned on us. And maybe you're, you're older. I'm not going to use an age because I won't offend anyone. You're, you're older, whatever that means. And you can, you can look back on some really dumb things that you've done, and you have some really bad regrets. And, and you're, still, you're still feeling the consequences of your decisions. And you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm eating the fruit of my own way. I'm drinking, I'm having my fill with my own device. I turned away from the wisdom of God. And here's the thing. It's not that you didn't know. People warned you all along the way. People that love you, people that care about you, the word of God, the preached word, pastors, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, friends, all along the way we're saying, don't do it. Don't listen to what I'm saying to you. Don't do this. Don't make that decision. And you still did it. I chose to really highlight verse 31, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way because imagine, I want you to imagine, just use your imagination with me. 
that somewhere in some unseen realm, there's this tree. And this tree represents the fruit of all your decisions in life. Every single decision you've made serves as a kind of nutrient or soil that goes down into the roots and it grows a certain kind of fruit. We'll just say a peach tree. Because peaches are sweet and they have a nice pretty color. If you want to choose a different fruit, that's fine. Every foolish decision you've made, have made, are making now, or will make, is like poison and corruption into the roots, and it breeds and it grows these peaches that are ripe with destruction and death. And every single one of us, we have a tree with our name on it. And we have made very foolish decisions. We have heard our mommies and daddies say things, warn us, guide us. Spiritual fathers and mothers come alongside of us and warn us and try to guide us. We've, had, we've heard the wisdom of God proclaimed from the scriptures, from a pastor, from a sermon. We've pushed God to the side, put ourselves at the center, and we've sown more poison into the roots. There is fruit ripe for destruction, and we, it is our due, it is our, we deserve to eat those fruits. We should eat those fruits. And some of you may be tasting them now. So that's, that's you. That's me. And now, let's talk about Jesus. Jesus was the wisest man who ever lived. In fact, he was the son of God. He too had a tree. And this tree was big, it's big enough to feed the entire world. Never once has Jesus ever submitted himself to the wisdom of the world. Jesus says, I always do what the Father tells me. In John 6, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus submitted himself perfectly to the fear of God. He never put sin at the center. He never chose to be selfishly ambitious, but put, put the desires and the hopes of his father at the center of his heart, and he let that govern him perfectly to the end. And his, his, his fruits are just perfect. They are ripe with such eternal life and divine goodness and grace that if you or I to just taste one little drop, it would fill us so full with his love. It would, it would transform us so deeply. It would fill us so full with eternal life that death, it's, death itself would run away from us. And that is essentially, because here's the reality. I can sit here all day and preach about the stupid decision we've made. I can preach about the consequences of making dumb decisions and all this and how you should listen to the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of the world. Because if you go to the wisdom of the world, it's going to lead you to destruction. It's going to take your life. Fear of consequences is never enough to make a sinner repent and trust in Jesus. There's nothing about that that honors Jesus. It just shows you how much you hate consequences. So do you have like godly grief versus worldly grief? Fear of consequences is never enough to make a sinner truly repent and trust Jesus. You need something more beautiful. You need something more enticing. 
You need something more seductive, more attractive to wean your attention off of the wisdom of the world and to find a deeper, fuller, more fulfilling desire. And that is essentially what Jesus did. So even though he's submitted himself perfectly to the wisdom of God, bore these perfect fruits and all that only he deserves to, t- to eat from, and you and I have made stupid decisions, we've submitted ourselves to the wisdom of the world, and we have sown poison into our fruits, ripe for destruction, Jesus comes along and says, sinner, come here. Eat from my tree. And he says, See this tree with your name on it? I'm going to take the name off and I'm going to put my name on it and I'm going to eat from these fruits here. That's, that's a, that, that is essentially the power to woo you away from the wisdom of the world into the wisdom of God is to see that Jesus Christ is the one who ate the fruit of your way so that you could eat the fruit of his way. Rather than you lie and wait for your own blood, Jesus shed his blood. <laughs> Rather than wait for the demons and the devil himself to come ambush you down into hell, Christ was ambushed by his enemies and put on a cross. And this, this is what, this is what takes our hands away from the fleeting pleasures of the wisdom of the world off and begin to taste something better in Jesus. So I want to end just a few practical ways. Remember the big question? Who or what has won or are you giving your undivided attention to? So let's say that you're here and you have said, yes, praise the Lord, Pastor, I have, I love Jesus. And I, I see how stupid I have, my, my decisions have been. I have submitted myself to the wisdom of the world and I have repented from that and I have trusted in Jesus and he is, he is so good to me. But how do I keep my attention on him? Three ways to guard your undivided attention onto the wisdom of God. Number one, build a force field of godly seriousness. Let me say that again. Build a force field of godly seriousness in your life. If you notice in verses eight, in verse eight, who is the one giving the wisdom and counsel to this young boy? his father and his mother. And notice the verse right before this, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So this, this is a mother and a father who fear God and are trying to offer the wisdom of God like a force field around this child. Not, you know, not shielding them from sin. Not, that's not what I'm talking about. But there is this godly influence in your life of people who have who have who know the wisdom of God. Obviously, this is talking about biological mothers and fathers, but I think you could take it to a deeper level, and not just mommies and daddies, but spiritual mothers and fathers. Older, godlier men and women 
who take their relationship with, with Jesus really seriously. It's like no joke. It's not a side thing. It is their life. You find them and you surround yourself with them. Have you ever hugged somebody with too much cologne or perfume on? And you walk away and kind of the aroma's all over you. You find someone, the fear of the Lord just exudes from them. And you just hunt them down. You creep on them and you just give them a hug, right? And have that stuff just come off on you. Because we can't do this alone. You need to build a force field of godly seriousness in your life. Number two, preach to yourself. I'll start over. That's too long. Preach the absolute stupidity of sin to yourself. Preach the absolute stupidity of sin to yourself. I'll say it again. Preach the absolute stupidity of sin to yourself. If you notice in verse, in verse 9, right after the fathers and mothers are crying out to their son, it, gives, it tells them why. Verse 9, for they are, the, the teaching and instruction, they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. These are rewards. And then you have wisdom, lady wisdom, crying out in verse 22. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? One translation I found says, how long, O oh dupes, will you love being duped? How long will you scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Look at verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So you have the wisdom of God offering you such joy and life. The stupidity of sin is even though we see the promise of world in submitting ourselves to the wisdom of God, somehow we still say, no thanks. This is why she says, how long, oh simple ones, will you love being simple? So, whenever you feel, so preach the absolute stupidity of sin to yourself. Whenever you feel one of those deep inclinations towards some sort of sin in your life, I'm not kidding you, I actually do this. I haven't told a lot of people. I thought it was kind of strange, but then I was like, wow. All right. So whenever you feel this deep inclination in you towards something sinful, towards some sort of wisdom of the world, you step outside of yourself, you preach to your flesh about how stupid of a thing that is. I actually will do this. If I feel some sort of inclination towards a particular sin or a particular temptation, I will literally preach to myself, really? Are you that dumb? You, you actually think that's a good idea. And there's something about that that snaps me out of my stupor. And I want you guys to try it. So try it. And if it works, let me know. Preach to yourself the absolute stupidity of sin because that's what it is. Kevin DeYoung, a great blog writer for, for the Gospel Coalition, said sin makes you stupid. And lastly, so build a force field of godly seriousness. Preach the absolute stupidity of sin to your flesh. And lastly, guard your undivided attention as if your soul depended upon it. 
Guard your undivided attention as if your soul depended upon it. If you notice in verse 20 and 21, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. There are all these voices crying out for your attention. Again, I am not anti-technology. I've got all the gizmos and gadgets. But you need to understand, you need to be much more conscious and aware of what you're absorbing into your mind. This is not necessarily talking about something sinful. So some of you, you might have thought, oh, he's talking about like, you know, don't, want, don't look at porn. I mean, yeah, obviously. I'm just talking about the neutral stuff. I'm talking about stuff that isn't blatantly sinful. It's just kind of this stuff that's like, I mean, what's, what's wrong with it? There's nothing really wrong with it. And we just absorb, we, we put our focused, undivided attention on stuff. Here's the thing. Even though it's not blatantly sinful, it's not leading us into the wisdom of God. It's subtly enticing us into the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is you are the center. The wisdom of God is God is the center. You need to be mindful of what you're constantly paying attention to. You need to be mindful of what your kids are constantly paying attention to. You need to be mindful of what your spouse is constantly paying attention to. You need to be mindful of what your friends are trying to get you to pay attention to. Because what has won your attention necessarily, inevitably, will download some sort of wisdom and counsel into your life. So a very, very practical tip. My wife and I have been doing this for years. I suggest it to you. I totally recommend it. One absolute rule that we have, we will not look at our phones until we have looked at this book. We will not talk to each other. It's literally, you come downstairs and it's kind of like, <laughs> grab your coffee and we're in the Bible. And phone's away. Again, not that the phone is sinful. That's not the problem. The issue is, as soon as, if you begin, okay, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you begin your day with a flood of you, you, what you have to do, what's, what's on your mind, what, has, what you have to get done, as opposed to what's, what's, what's God want for you today? What is, what's, what's he leading me towards? What does Jesus want from me? What am I ultimate, what's my hope? What's my aim? What's, what am I really here for? And once you get that set, everything else will fall at the feet of Jesus. So be very conscious and mindful of where you are paying attention because at the end of the day, the, the best place to find the wisdom of God is in this book. And I'm telling you because our attention has become so transfixed on something other than this book. Everything else is, is trying to get you addicted to look at something else besides this. So we'll end with this verse here in 2 Peter 1. Because some of you, here, here's the thing. You're, you're like, okay, I love Jesus, and yes, I want to I wanna walk in wisdom. I don't want to walk in the wisdom of the world. I want to walk in the wisdom of God. And you're going to wake up tomorrow, and you're going to open this book, and you're going to be like, ugh, this is, this is not very exciting. I just, this is words on a page. I don't really know what to do. 
Peter, the Apostle Peter gives us a very clear direction if that is you. He's talking about the prophetic word, this, this powerful word of God in this book. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, watch this, to which you will do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So this, this world is, is full of the wisdom of the world. And in this book, there is a light, there's a lamp shining with the wisdom of God. And he says, you pay attention to this as a lamp shining in a dark place. This is the only place where light is found. How long do you look at it, pastor? Pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until, so how long? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In the book of Revelation, it defines who the morning star is, and it is Jesus Christ. So some of you have, maybe you have, you've grown numb to the wisdom of God and your heart is a little bit too excited about what the world has to offer. And this is telling you, you fix your mind and your heart here and you hold it there until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Christ will come through. He will come through. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, I'm setting the tone today. Who or what are you paying attention to? Who or what is your undivided attention fixed upon? So for the next six weeks, be conscious of where you're fixing your mind. Fix your mind on the wisdom of God in, Christ, in Scripture centered upon Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for Jesus and his grace and his gospel. I thank you that in Jesus there is life. I pray, Lord, that for anyone who is feeling the, the consequences of their, their foolish decisions, they're feeling the weight of it, that you would that you would allure them into Jesus, who would cover them and forgive them and lead them into a new life, walking in the wisdom of God. Help us, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen.